Hey, it's Mike Miller and Ricky Gantz, and we are G220 Radio, and we've got a pretty good episode for you here tonight on this program. We've had a rescheduling, so to speak, so tonight we're going to be talking about a progressive heretic on John 316. Man, where do we begin tonight here on this episode of G220 Radio, uh, Mike told me earlier, he's like, man, what are you doing? Because uh, we had uh, the original, the one and only Natty P was scheduled to be with us tonight. We were going to talk about uh, it's a religion, not a relationship. Uh, it's kind of a play on words. Uh, and we had an article in which we was going to kind of go through. Uh, but Natty P is unable to be with us tonight. So we have to reschedule that one uh, for a future date. So uh last minute i just sent a couple things to mike to say hey we can either try to get this universalist heretic to come on the program and have a back and forth conversation or we could talk about this progressive heretic and it's like it's like thinking we were gonna have this nice show with natty p on and then we go from that to like let's talk about heretics or with heretics i was really hoping you'd say hey let's talk about the 1689 or something like impassibility or something like that. <laughs> no, you got to do with John three sixteen from a pro yeah. progressive quote unquote Christian to yeah. use their language, who uh, who Tebowed in the yeah, video. Yeah, Tebowed. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to that because we're gonna have to interact with this video. We don't want any strikes coming against us, uh, so we are doing this in fair use. Uh, but we are gonna kind of interact with the. Uh, his video that I found on YouTube, I just kind of popped up on YouTube and, and I clicked on it and I'm like, what in the world is this guy talking about? But it's very interesting. It's a UCC church um, in uh, Michigan, Douglas uh, UCC church in Michigan. And so we're going to be talking about his take on John 316 here. And we're going to play the video it's about a 16 minute video. We're not going to play it in its entirety. Like I said, we're going to interact with it so that we are uh, keeping in line with fair use. But here's the thing, right? It's very interesting to me just today, today, um, is, this isn't a UCC church, but this is, a, this is the kind of progressive thinking that is out there with UCC churches and even others. There's a local church in our area. Washington Avenue Christian Church. I'm, I'm just dropping the name there. Stay away from it. Avoid it. Uh, it's horrible. The 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 church is a Washington Avenue Christian Church, and it's Disciples of Christ is what they have on their their church website on their church building. Disciples of Christ. Well, I ran into these people at um, the Apple Festival this year, and I told my wife she was in line. Piper was going to get her face painted. She's always wanted to get her face painted when we're at Cedar Point, but it's like $20 <laughs> to get your face painted. So we're always like, oh, maybe next time, maybe next time, you know. Um, but at the Apple Festival, it was only like $5. So we're like, yeah, go get your face painted, you know. And uh, so she was in line with Piper, and I walked over to this church booth. And I started to talk to them, just cordial conversation, you know, and I wanted to ask them a few questions, kind of see where they were with some things, you know, not trying to grill, but just trying to interact. And I mean, if you got a church booth up, what do you got a church booth up if you don't want to talk about what your church believes? Right. I mean, so I started to ask them some questions. I said, hey, uh, how long have you been a Christian? 
And the guy's response to me was, well, it depends on what you mean. What depends on what you mean. That kind of threw me back a bit, but then he makes this statement to me and you can see the video. If you go to G220 ministries, uh, YouTube channel, it's up there, but he makes the statement to me that, you know, some are born again, Christians, you know, some come one way through being born again. And some through the, uh, what he, what he said he called, or his father had told him one time the sell all you have Christians implying as if there's more than one way. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, the Bible says in John three, which is where we're going to go today. That's why I thought it was kind of fitting now that this is where we are. Um, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he repeats it and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the blood, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you must be born again. That's that simple. That's what the Bible says. There's not multiple ways. If you've never been born again, you will never see or enter the kingdom of God. It's that simple. Well, somebody posted on one of our local Facebook chats for our community about that church and asked, and I said, asked about the atmosphere of the church. And I said, well, I don't know about the atmosphere there, but I was a little concerned when I talked to their youth directors, because these were youth directors, and we spoke about how someone becomes Christian. What do you, what, what is John three sixteen or John uh, uh, three, three, you know, being born again. And they were saying that there's these other ways that people become Christians. And I said, that was concerning to me. Somebody later or on in that same thread said, oh yeah, the pastor is, is, is a homosexual. Right. And I said, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that. So I went and looked at their Facebook page and it says, this guy's name goes through his bio and says, along with his partner, Chad, right? And I'm like, it's right there on his bio. And so this is the kind of progressive thinking that you can basically still follow God, still believe to some degree some of the Bible, still want to teach from the Bible, which is strange to me, but yet, and, and call yourselves Christians, call yourself followers of Christ, but yet disregard, reject, rebel against what the word of God actually says. This is this progressive movement. We've seen this with, we've had Jim Thornton on. We look, we've talked about, we've even had on Keith Giles, these kinds of people who are deconstructing their faith and coming into these progressive mixture with new age kind of mystical beliefs. And this is what is like, I'm seeing lots of these kind of videos pop up online. And maybe that's why this one popped up because I've watched some stuff on progressives. You know how the algorithms, they want to kind of throw things at you then because um, I've watched where people have come out of new age to Christianity um, or debates with people from progressive and, and biblical Christians. And so it, it's just crazy to me that you'd want to hold on to a title of Christ, Christian, but yet reject what the word of God says. I mean, if you want to join a country club or you want to just get together with some people, why not just call it that? Why call it Christian? Why call it a church? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you'd hope at one point they actually held to Christian doctrine. Um, it goes back to what we talked about in the 1689 of being um, continued to be held that the local church is prone to air. Let's pull it up because it's good. And um, 
that the you know the father the, the peers church under heaven are subject to mixture and error and have and some have degraded degraded as to become no churches of Christ but synagogues of Satan nevertheless Christ always hath had and ever shall have a kingdom in this world to the end therefore of such as believed in him and make profession of his name yeah I mean 1689 clear even the peers churches have heirs and churches have fallen. And we should see that and we should mourn that. Um, mm -hmm. And they just think, as we'll probably hear a little bit in here, I don't remember if he kind of talks about it, but has the assumption of kind of this idea of this changing religion mm -hmm. that um, religion evolves over time. <clears throat> Um, I mean, he mentions about how the world was created millions of years ago. He's accepted kind of the evolutionary theory. And all of this plays a part into what he is saying. I mean, he tries to talk about verse 15 and completely destroys it out of its context, even in the context in which it originally appears mm -hmm. and what it was to symbolize in that time and making reference to a, a snake with only a, the earth here. We'll get to it. He talks about yeah. it. I got things to say about it. Oh, I'm, but, I'm looking forward to hearing what you got to say. <laughs> um, but you see, and especially maybe in my perspective where I've had to learn about more closely, the liberal um, movement, I've had to study it and test over it and raise Schalmacher, Schalmacher and others and to think about it. But, you know, if you've read Christianity and Liberalism by um, Machen. Um, Machen, I mean, it's the same, same thing. Right. Nothing new and, under the sun. Yeah. yeah. He's very relevant today in everything he's discussed because it's through a worldly religion. It's a religion of man, not the religion of the Bible. And that's the key. Even as he, um, the pastor we're going to listen to, tries to portray evangelicals um, of only caring about the first part of the verse, only caring about the last part of the verse, but not caring about the first part of the verse. And I mean, it's just, it's a jumble mess. Yeah. That may take four or five shows if James White would to cover this like 18 minute clip. Yeah. So with that being said, and you know, and, and it's in the it's in the name, right? Progressive, right? This is mm -hmm. what they are seeking to do is progress past this old ancient kind of belief system, this this old way of doing yep. things. Let's move into a new, more enlightened view, a new, more enlightened path and way as we move forward together. And it's all about love unless, I mean, how, how often do we hear this? You're so intolerant. You're so intolerant. Uh, you know, love is love. Well, what does that actually mean, right? Uh, is, it, is it still love if I disagree with you? Is it still love if I tell you that you're living in sin? Is it still love if I say that the Bible says clearly that Jesus is the only way? Is it still love then? And most of the time, these people will say, no, that's not love. That's intolerance. You're a bigot. But the reality is truth always speaks 
or love always speaks the truth, right? So uh -huh. we're going to have to be able to, to stand up with one another. And it doesn't mean you have to be um, rude or uh, mean spirited in telling someone the truth. I think we, we learn that over time and maturity. And I like to think that I've matured more over the years in evangelism uh, to where I wasn't as, where I'm not as uh, brass with the tongue, you know, like I used to be like sharp witted, wanting to get everybody who throws something back at me. And I think with maturity comes that within evangelism and, and just as a Christian in general, you start to learn, okay, maybe this isn't the best approach of going about it, but you learn and you grow, right? Well, um, that's not the kind of progressive that we're talking about. There's sanctification in your growth. <clears throat> but you can't go away from what the word says. And so let's go ahead and we'll get into this here and kind of listen to some of this and we'll break it up and um, just kind of go through, through it. Most of you know that I know very little about sports. And so it may have surprised you to see that I had a picture of Tim Tebow in this week's epistle, our weekly email church newsletter that I send out on Fridays. Now, for those of you who know even less than sports than I do, uh, Tim Tebow is a former American football player who became known for genuflecting on the football field, going down on one knee, to pray. Now, a few things that stand out right just from watching the video. Obviously, the shawl, whatever you whatever you want to call that scarf type thing. Uh, I don't even know what the religious name of it would be, but um, it's got all those rainbow colors in it, right? Mm -hmm. And so that automatically draws something. Now he's going to talk about sports. I'll, I'll be honest, I don't watch sports anymore. Uh, I'm not against sports or anything like that. I just don't really pay much attention to what's going on. But I do know who Tim Tebow is. And he's speaking of this genuflecting, you know, T Tebow would go down on one knee after scoring a touchdown or at times during the game or after the game and pray with other who profess to be Christian, you know. Um, and so he's going to use this and he's going to kind of use it as an intro to get into John 3.16. But he's also going to make this kind of woke suggestion here that we're about to see and that pose that posture became known as t-bowing now although i'm not a sports expert i would venture to guess that many of the people who are outraged right now that colin kaepernick last year was taking a knee on the football field had no problem when tim tebow was doing it a few years back but that's a homily for another time. <laughs> so why in the world did I have Tim Tebow in our newsletter this week? Well, if you looked closely at the photo, you noticed he had that black grease paint underneath his eye. All right, real quick. Um, how's that audio coming through, Mike? I feel like it's coming in my left ear, but not my right ear. Kind of sounds a little funny. Yeah, I'm not hearing that on my side. Maybe if uh, somebody else is uh, watching, um, listening, maybe they can uh, comment in on that. Hopefully everything is is working properly. Um, and let's see. 
But as he was talking there about this Tebowing, he brings up Colin Kaepernick. And I don't think most of those who at the time were upset with Colin Kaepernick were upset over the fact that he was taking a knee. It was in this protest during the national anthem. Um, and so I don't know if we can say that those are exactly the same thing. Uh, but that's just, again, uh, oftentimes what you're going to find with many progressives is you're going to find uh, woke kind of thinking. Um, they want to put that out there. And Joe says the hearing is fine. Um, so maybe it just be, it's coming through on our end that way, but hopefully everything else will, will continue to uh, work for us. So let's get back to this video. Eyes that football players wear and on it was written the Bible chapter and verse John 316. This is Tim Tebow's favorite Bible verse. And this is the Bible chapter and verse that was in our gospel today for the fourth Sunday of Lent that I just read for you. And it has arguably become the most popular Bible chapter and verse by Christians in America today. Now, in speaking on John 3.16, okay, um, what do you think about the, we see it, it is a very popular verse. I think many people... Uh -huh know John 316 is probably probably I think the number one most quoted verse if not John if not judge not it might be judge yeah. not but <clears throat> probably the most God quoted helps verse. those who help themselves yeah yeah which is in where um not the Bible yeah but so so with that being said I mean we do see it a lot and yes I do think athletes sometimes use scripture and wrongly but when it comes to things like this for me i i just think when i see those poster boards that say john 316 on them like hey you know what regardless of whatever that individual may have in their mind or their heart for for doing it it may be used by the lord to somebody say i'm gonna look mm -hmm. that up and they read it i don't see a yeah. problem necessarily with that what about you yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, the passage for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. I mean, if you could find, there's other verses, but a succinct statement from the Bible of the gospel, a Jesus gave his son to die for sinners, yeah, that the they father. may live, yeah. the father. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, so... For the purpose of the verse, it's more appropriate than Philippians 4.16. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, mm -hmm. um, which is another popular verse for um, people in yeah. athletics. And so, yeah, I think there is a reason why John 3.16 is so beloved and mm -hmm. why you see the signs. It's people who want people to read this verse and to believe, yeah. to see that they are destined to hell. I mean, right. for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might be saved through them. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one in the only son of God. I mean, it's right there. I mean, yeah. you could just read a couple verses and have it um, and have a better understanding. But I think there's that that evangelistic fever to go, hey, here's a verse. 
um, for that. And like you said, God's word does not return void. Mm -hmm. And we should, as Christians, we see it. Pray that people who watch and see it, which it's not as common as it used to be, at least in the stadium. I think they've pretty much banned kind of like poster light um, things, at least in the sports I've watched recently. But I mean, it's still getting God's word out there. Um, God's word doesn't return void. It does what it's intended to do. And we should pray that God uses it to change hearts to those who are watching. Yeah. And like you said, you know, John 3, 16 is a beloved, beloved passage of scripture. You, you could take this one verse and you could share the gospel with people. You know, you got the father's love for the world that he sends his son and his son. You know, he lays down his life on the cross. You could you could base you could go for the gospel right here with John three sixteen. I know as an open air preacher, many times when I've gotten up to preach and I've gotten to a point where maybe I get stuck or I start to. Um, maybe people are asking me questions and, and I lose my train of thought for a second. Um, to get back on track, if I, if I, I'm like, where was I at? Well, you know, cause I, I find myself losing, uh, where I am in conversations lately. I don't know if it's just a sign of old age or what, but use John three sixteen and get back on track. You know what I mean? Because you can go back to the gospel and, and when you're preaching on the streets, when you're evangelizing, the, the whole point of evangelism is to give them the gospel so that they can get saved. Now, we can always get into these other conversations, and we do, but the, 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 the most important thing is to make sure they leave with the gospel. That's what you want them to have. So John 3.16 is a great verse for that. All right, let's kind of continue here. If you go to a sporting event, a football game, a NASCAR race, you're bound to see somebody holding up a sign in the stands that says, John 3.16. This has become the go-to Bible chapter and verse for evangelical Christians in America. It is on t-shirts and hats and tattoos and bumper stickers. There was one mechanic shop here in Michigan that advertised, come into our shop and recite for us John 3.16 and receive a free oil change. I would do that in a heartbeat and get some free uh, free free car work, right? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, I might have I wonder to drive if he had like Michigan. a yeah, maybe he had like a one limit though. Like you only can do it once. Yeah, because you'd be going out of business. Yeah, for sure. No joke. So what is it about John three sixteen? that evangelical Christians love so much? Why is it the favorite, favorite Bible verse that they want to tell everybody about? Well, I'd like to think it's the first six words that say, for God so loved the world. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the message they wanted everybody to hear and everybody to know, that God loves you so much? But sadly, I believe it's the latter part of the verse that they want to emphasize and make clear that Jesus is the only way that leads to salvation. Yeah, here is where you was already kind of referring to him making this distinction, right? Uh-huh. That, oh, wouldn't it be great if, if it was only these first six 
uh, words for God so loved the world. And then we could just tell people God loves you so much, right? Mm-hmm. But let's let's kind of eliminate that later part of the verse, the, the end of the verse, because that's just so judgmental. That's just saying Jesus is the only way. And what is the other part of the verse? You've already quoted it, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How is that? I mean, I get it's offensive to an unbeliever. I get it's offensive to those who don't want to buy into the idea that Jesus Christ is the only way. I get it because it's saying whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But even for the Hindus, even for some of these these, uh, people who have this ideas of of multiple ways to get to God, that shouldn't be offensive to you, right? But he knows. And many people who reject this, there's only one way, know that when you continue to read, when you continue to read, you see that those who don't believe are already condemned. Uh Yeah, I think. Obviously, there is some assumptions being given that he will not prove. Why can't it be both? Why can't mm-hmm. these people holding up the sign, knowing that the latter part is true, want you to also know the first part that God has, that God does love you? He wants to bring you in a relationship with him. He sent his son to restore the relationship that is broken so you can live with him eternally. Like, why does it only have to be, well, God so loved the world? Why is that the most important part of the verse? Why should that be emphasized? And why do you think that the evangelicals only want to emphasize the whoever believes him should not perish but have eternal life you're dividing the scripture Mm -hmm. it should be taken as a whole and just even in the syntax so you see the idea of four we kind of mentioned it before the show i'm just going to spill the beans this seems is that john that we're no longer jesus is no longer talking here that john is is now speaking. He's mm-hmm. giving us understanding of what just happened. What mm-hmm. is Jesus talking about in the first 15 verses of chapter three? And what is it, what's going on? And so I think here you have John explaining for God. He's explaining what's going on. That's the point. God does love the world. We see it in 1 John 4, 6. God loves the world. God loves his creation. Because if he hated it, he would have just let us go into the depths of our ungodliness and destroy everything. But he hasn't. Because he loves us. He loves his creation. He wants to restore the relationship with his creation. This is good news. John is giving us something good. John is bringing us to the point in which all the Old Testament saints longed for. The curse of Adam to be broken. John is telling us, God loved the world. 
-hmm. He loved their world so much that he sacrificed his own son. He sacrificed his own son. So those who believe in him can have eternal life. This whole verse is important. And to, to break it up like he does mm -hmm. is a mishandling of the scripture. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and for those who maybe be thinking about this, because as we, we were talking about this before the show and Mike brought this up, you know, where, and I was saying to him, I've come to this realization over the years that at that point of John 3.16 there, this goes from Jesus talking from verse 15 to now John breaking this down. And but because we have, many people have these red letter Bibles where they say, oh, this is Jesus speaking, that they just assume, well, this is still Jesus talking. However, uh, when you look at it in its, when you're breaking down these things, trying to understand it, and you even said in the Greek, when you look at how this is broken apart, you see there's a transition, right? And so regardless, because the reason why this is important is because he's about to say, Jesus speaking about himself in the past, and that's, you know, that's crazy. All right, let's go ahead and continue here. And we have to break this video up, like I said in the beginning, because a fair use, we don't want to let it go for too long and they give us a strike. Well, it's not copyrighted, so. Yeah, we're good there then. The misunderstanding over John 3.16 has led many Christians in America today to believe that one must accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior or they will be condemned to hell. That is not what John 3.16 means. That is not what Jesus is saying in today's gospel. So what does it mean? What is he saying? Well, let's look at it together. If you noticed in the gospel, Jesus is referring to terms, son of God, son of man, only begotten son. And he says things like all who believe in him will have eternal life. Why wouldn't he say all who believe in me? have eternal life i think i should stop there and uh we'll kind of because there was a lot there right so son of god right you've got the, the the christ which he's gonna also continue to go into but these terms these titles that are given uh and then again when he says why does he say believe in him right again because we just talked about it now this is john speaking john saying those who believe in him Right. But also when he says doesn't believe in me, I, I went and printed out these verses here. Um, you know, you got John 17, 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is the, the Christ is praying to the to the father here. And then in, in verse uh, or chapter or ver, John 16, 8 through 10, he says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, speaking about the Holy Spirit and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me this is christ speaking concerning righteousness because i go to the father and you will see me no longer john 14 12 truly truly i say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that i do and greater works than these will he do because i am going to the father and he's going to bring this up later and we can talk about it then if you want to mike but john 14 1 let not your hearts be troubled believe in god believe also in me Christ speaking here. 
John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Seems to me Christ is saying a lot of believe in me here. John 11, 25 through 27, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then Mark 9, 42, because maybe he hasn't gone through the book of Mark, so we'll also cover it in Matthew. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Matthew 18, 6, just in case he didn't read Mark. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And this man is causing people. Now, I do believe that if, if you're truly of God, he's going to pull you out of that. But you're causing people to sin in this disbelief, in this rejection of God's word. By telling them that it's all about God's love. We don't have to. Jesus isn't the only way. Uh-huh. Let's look at about, and maybe this is pushing a little bit forward. Um, may have to save it um, later, but in the same in the same vein, um, actually both. See, I was going, but because I know the video, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna save my comments because I have some stuff that portrays this, but I think it'd be better when he actually mentions comments about jesus not being a narcissist yeah all right why is jesus talking in the third person you know people who refer to themselves in the third person are often narcissists (laughs) jesus is not being narcissistic here the reason jesus is not being narcissistic here is because he's not referring to himself He's not referring to himself. Son of God and only begotten son are terms for the Christ. And I've told you before, the Christ existed billions of years before Jesus of Nazareth was even born. Okay. Go ahead, Mike. There's a couple different things in this quote, but let's, let's address the title issue. John eleven twenty five, he's just declared ro- woes to all the cities because they did not repent. And he says at that time, Jesus declared some Matthew by the inspiration of the spirit. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except for the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Jesus intentionally hid things from the wise. God intentionally hid things from the wise. 
I think in our story, Nicodemus doesn't have a clue what's going on. He doesn't. Nicodemus, I think at this point, is not believing in Jesus. I think he later comes. I think John tells yeah. us the outcome. Before we all get hate mail for that. I just don't think he's here at this time. I think he leaves confused. What is he talking about? Jesus intentionally hid. Again, think about later on in John, John chapter seven. Um, his brothers telling him to go to Jerusalem to show himself to the world. His brothers don't believe him in the time. John says, John writes in chapter seven, verse six, Jesus said to them, my time has not come, but your time is always here. The world hates you. The world cannot hate you. And it hates me because I testify about it and it's evil. It's works of evil. You go to the feast. I am not going out to the feast for my time has not yet come fully. What are they asking? He's asking to reveal himself as the Christ. And yet his time has not come. Jesus Let's face it. He's as wise as a serpent and as graceful as a dove. He he knows what he is doing. He is using terms to refer to himself to keep it hidden. He doesn't want the disciples telling people these things, that he is the son of God. He knows what it means. He's waiting on God's timing to have it done. When he will go to... Gethsemane. Yes, these are terms, but Jesus is using it to cover who he's who he is, so that when the people are listening, God is giving wisdom to the simple, so they know who he is. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders are left in darkness because they do not believe. They mm -hmm. do not see his works. They do not trust in him. And God and God has hidden it from them. They can't know. They can't see. That's why Jesus is doing that. These terms, he's using these terms to teach and to conceal who he really is. In one way, but now, as you've mentioned it, his disciples know he is. He teaches people to believe in him. When Jesus says to him that he's the good shepherd, they know exactly what he is saying. Mm-hmm. They know he's equating himself to God based on Psalm 23. The Lord is the good shepherd and I shall not want. They know that and they tried to kill him. Jesus is being strategic. He's being wise and he's leaning on God. And we should see that. That yes, Jesus isn't a narcissist. He's correct. Jesus isn't about his own glory. Right. He's about the glory of God. But just because he's using third these terms to conceal himself doesn't make him any less. But then, you know, you just go off into heresy land. And I'm I should have looked this up. But there is it's a special type of heresy. It's not Arianism, um, though it's somewhat related to it, where the Christ and Jesus are separate and Jesus kind of receives the spirit of Christ. And then 
he doesn't go much. I assume maybe possibly that at least before the crucifixion. So Jesus is dying, but not the Christ. This is heretical. Um, it's an ancient heresy. The Christ has always existed. Yes, Jesus is created, but the Christ takes on a human body. He becomes incarnate. I mean, we're coming up to that season. Yeah. And so, again, he's like he's in heresy land. And so you kind of see, I mean, how he comes to these terms makes sense based on the kind of this heresy that Jesus isn't the Christ. Jesus yeah. isn't the son of God, which Jesus claim clearly claims that he is. Yeah. And, and when you look at what this word uh, Christos means, right? The anointed one, uh, Messiah, uh -huh. right? And we, we translate it, we say Christ, but, but him being the Messiah, they were looking, if you just look at the Bible as a whole, all throughout the Old Testament, what are they looking for? This one Messiah who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. They think they see they see Noah. They think Noah's the one. They and and then Noah has his fall of, of drunkenness, and then this thing happened. Okay, he's not the righteous one. Abraham, could he be the one? Then then Isaac, could he be that seed? Oh, through this, this J Jacob, and then 12 tribes, and then Judah, and God is bringing it down and narrowing it down to this tribe of Judah, then through, you know, the descendants of David. And then finally, the Christ comes on the scene, the Messiah comes, right? And so not all of us are a Messiah. None of us are the Messiah. There's only one Messiah that, that everyone has been waiting for and that has come. And it's Christ, Jesus. And yes, Christ is not his last name. Uh, I think sometimes you do have to explain that to some Christians because they read it and they think that it's just, but it's this title. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one, the Holy One of God who comes to take the sins of the world. And so, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's important. All right, let's uh, try to continue and see how far we can get through in with this. When God birthed, everything into existence and said, let there be light. There was the Christ. The divine DNA was infused into all of creation. That's called pantheism and that's a heresy. Let's just mm -hmm. put that out there. And that's very popular with progressives. I wouldn't be surprised if he's an open theist. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I subscribe to his channel, not because I want to uh, go through all of these things, but uh, yeah, I try to, um, I try to stay informed with what's going on and so, it, it gives us good shows. Yeah. Good yeah. content. So yeah. <laughs> um, Mike's not thrilled about it. Yeah, let's edify people by talking yeah. about heresy. I, it's important to talk about heresy. I'm yeah. just joking. Um, but yeah, so he, he believes in pantheism or process theology. It is an idea. Um, he may not be um, an open theist kind of formally. Um, open theism is kind of in between orthodox and process theology, which he is subscribing um, 
panentheism is um that the divine the divine being is in all things so um you have path sorry i'm gonna mess it up because it's late panentheism um, and yeah so panentheism which is what he holds to and then just the the multiple gods i'm not gonna be able to pronounce it um pantheism yeah. so you have pantheism and you have panentheism um the end there is different it's kind of bringing it saying it's more it's inside it's and mm -hmm. um and this is going to really play out really what he's going to say next dealing with that everyone is a son of god everyone is this um um this idea and you see here again outside the bible the bible doesn't say god is in things god is holy other he's outside of all things and so i think this is important um the distinction now he's what he's saying now is taking bearing on how he's understanding this text and i think as we should understand that's why theology is important theology mm -hmm. helps us to understand the bible and hopefully as you try to understand the bible better it will also change your theology and there's that that delicate balance of always questioning your beliefs according to god's word and using your theology is kind of a bounce to keep you from going to heretical land into the shadows as um mufasa would say to um simba to you know bring it in hip movies and yeah the lion king just, for those who don't know yeah and so you just you see that there he's gonna say other things i've kind of spoiled it and as as larry has said yeah this is similar to what jim thornton has said um you know and, and stuff that we talked to him about um because it's all kind of the same line yeah. it's all progressive christianity it's right the the well movie. he even mentions he even to mentions later because he he does mention a mystic from the 13th century but then he also mentions i, I believe the, the thomas murta who Mur is a more Mur a newer kind mm -hmm. of progressive and that is a guy who jim thornton follows yeah he's mentioned his name multiple times and so you see the influence that these guys have had on these churches that want to that are are ultimately in rebellion against god <clears throat> All right, let's uh, continue here. God so loved the world that God gave us of its very nature, its own DNA. Jesus was a man from Nazareth who lived more than 2,000 years ago. And during his lifetime, he had an awakening, a discovery, a realization that he and God were not two, but one. And because of that, Jesus was able to fully manifest the Christ. And he made it his mission after that realization to go out into the world 
and to teach others that they too could experience this oneness with God. And he said, follow the way. What was the way? The way of forgiveness, the way of service, the way of unconditional love. Because Jesus knew that when you lived from that way, you stopped listening to the voice of the ego, the voice of the small self, the voice of separation and darkness. And you start to awaken more and more to the light, to your true self, to your divine self, to your Christ self. So, so much there. Okay. I may shock some people. Some of the words that he said, I think, are correct. But we have to understand them biblically. Does Jesus want us to know our true self? Yes. That we were made to have relationships with God. That we need forgiveness from God. I don't. This is the, the remnants of what would be orthodoxy. This is him trying to kind of hold on to the orthopraxy of Christian orthodoxy. He doesn't want the theology. Right. But he wants the practice. Um, and... You know, to be try to be fair. I mean, there are things he said in there that if it came from the words of Dr. Moeller, I would have no issue with them. But what he did in the beginning is what is crucial and what makes all those wrong. He separated Jesus from Christ. I think Jesus knew. I mean, I, Jesus knew he was from God. Look at Luke 2. His mother loses him after being at a festival. And he's like, well, why didn't you come to my father's house where I would be? I think Jesus knew very early that he was in his human nature. That he was going to be the savior. He already knew. I think he had, I mean, he had the spirit. I think he had this spirit from early on, just as John the Baptist did. But that's his fatal flaw here, this pastor, is he denies that. He denies that Jesus is the embodiment of the second person of the Trinity. And so when he starts saying all these things, they're wrong because he's already he's gotten the godhead wrong and i made this when my in the mormon series the mormons say not mormons the jehovah witnesses jehovah witnesses say some things that are correct but we have to understand them in their terms and that's what makes them wrong and you know jesus I think he's elaborating. He's making clearer 
the idea of forgiveness. What does it mean to be forgiven by God? But it's not that he's bringing something new. The Old Testament in shadows taught everything that Jesus spoke of explicitly. Yeah. And yeah, you just to to have that that view is again, it's just as what liberals do is we're going to change our doctrine and try to hold tight to the good things of Christianity that Christians are to not think of themselves, but to look outside themselves, to think about the people around them. It's not just about them. It's about the glory of God. And how is that shown through us living an obedient life to the Lord? And he's just gutted all of that out into whatever he thinks unconditional love is, what forgiveness is and all the other practical aspects of the Orthodox Christian faith. Yeah. And that's the, you know, things kind of like, again, in a deeper kind of trying to be fair with what he's saying, but also break down from the understanding in which he's bringing these things forth. But ultimately, while we do need forgiveness, while we do need to serve one another, uh, because it's part of the Christian life to do those things, that is not the way in which you find salvation in before God. That is not the way in which you make yourself righteous before God. It is only through Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. In Acts 4.12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You go to John 3.36, in the same passage in which we are speaking of here today when he's talking about John 3.16. And it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 3, 18, just a few verses after. I think we may have already even quoted it. But whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There is only one way. It is only through Christ and Christ alone. John 10 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. There's only one way to eternal life. There's many ways, many paths, many broad is the road that leads to destruction. So there's many ways that get you to the opposite, that, that takes you to, to condemnation before God or stay in your condemnation to the wrath of God. But there's only one way to be right with God. And that is through Jesus Christ and him alone. All right, let's continue here. So Jesus didn't say that he was the only one. Yes, in he fact, did. if you read the gospels, he says just the opposite. He stood in front of crowds of people and said, you are sons and daughters of God. And he said, you are the light of the world. And he said, all of the things that I have done, you can do. Well, those are those things right there. Um, one, uh, Christ is the light that exposes the darkness. And yes, he says, you are the light of the world. And he's referring to the church being a light, to sitting on a hill, showing like shining forth this glorious gospel of Christ, right? But the thing about the sons of God, and I think so many people miss, Mike, is 
when God, in John 10, when this is used, he uses it in this context. He says, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods, right? Not gods in the sense of being God, big G God, but, but speaking of them, I mean, who has who given the oracles of God? Who has given the scriptures? Who has given this, this rule to judge, right? And so in this context, when you go back to Psalm 82, it's referring to these, these people that are in these positions to be able to judge these kings and, and, and people in these kinds of authorities. It's referring to men because Christ even says you will die like men, uh-huh. right? It's not referring to you have some deity as he's trying to say, well, we all have the deity. We're all, we're all deity. We're all the Messiah. Yeah. Let's look at this. Let's let's we have to go there because this is what he's referencing um, implicitly It's Matthew five. He's referencing Matthew five. He quotes um, verse um, he referenced to five, nine, and then also in um, five, 14. Just here it is. I think we'll just, we'll just see it really early. So chapter five starts seeing the crowd. He, Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We'll stop there. Who's the sons of God? Well, they're peacemakers. Mm-hmm. But those are what describes Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples are supposed to be ones who make peace. And in doing so, they show themselves to be sons of God, not biologically, obviously, because God is without a body. He does not have a body like man, as the boys and girl catechism would say. But it's in reference that we, at this point, reflect the Father. The Father is one who is a peacemaker. He's been trying to, he's been working his plan to bring peace about for those whom I will be saved. Those who will not perish, but have eternal life. And if we think about this idea of light of the world and verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. A city set, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Again, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. When Jesus is talking and using these terms, he's not talking to everyone. He's talking to his disciples. Again, this is where his understanding of the Christ is in all things or God's in all things. The panentheism idea starts playing out because I can say now, well, yeah, all people have the spark of divinity in them that makes them sons of God. That's not how Jesus talks. He uses these terms in light of those who follow him, not those who don't. The non-believers are not sons of God. 
they're not light of the world. They're not displaying God's goodness to the world. Because as you mentioned, and as John would say in the first John chapter one, the light came in the world and the men hate it Mm -hmm. because they want to be in the darkness. This, you know, we've gone over, and if we can say it, this is what bad exegesis, bad Bible study does. Bad theology ruins how you understand the Bible, and it ruins theology. It completely guts out anything that is worth, that would be any helpful in the in which in the world that God has made. And you just you see it here, just. He, again, wants people to act like the Christ that he wants. He's created a God in his own image. He's created a Christ that is different than the Christ of the Bible. That's what progressive Christianity does. It's a religion of the natural. He wants us to live in a certain way. And my guess, and we can see it in the stall that he wears, that He's going to be progressive. He's, mm-hmm. I mean, he says it is. It's going to be what we would call him now woke in the comments he made earlier. And again, he's just not reading his Bible properly to make the right distinctions because theology is used as a lens in which we understand, which is not right. necessarily a bad thing when it keeps us in line with what the Bible teaches, which is why we can say, though we disagree with Presbyterians on baptism, we believe the same gospel. We believe in the same God. We may have some misunderstandings in how the Bible treats certain topics like the covenant, like baptism, but we're still believers. Mm-hmm. He is not. He believes right. a different God. Right. This is why the creeds and councils of the early church are so important to understand. We even missed, he goes back to the 13th century, he names a mystic, but you can read the church fathers and understand this is what they're saying. Athanasius mm-hmm. is saying this. Um, this isn't anything new um, that what we're saying. And well, as you mentioned, he goes to the 13th century to bring up this mystic who yeah. has this idea of Christ and this, you know, um, universal kind of Christ is in everybody type view. But the Council of Nicaea that took place in the uh, 4th century, many, 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 many years before that, Uh laid out what the church had believed about Christ and who he was and the Trinity, right? And even Easter. (laughs) And then Easter at the Council of Nicaea, they lay that out, Um, I think. But all that stuff wasn't that they were just coming to this view in the fourth century that Jesus is God, that there's this triune God, but that this is what the church has believed mm-hmm. and there's heresy coming in. Now let's defend it. So let's have this council so we can squash that heresy. Right? So you're going to take this person from the 13th century. Who's a mystic. And, and it's interesting because we were teaching on, on Islam in uh church on Sunday. We're going through world religions. I'm teaching the class. And I was explaining how uh, Islam, one of their sources for which they hold to as far as for authority is, although it's been 
lowered, but it is the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, right? Now, today they say it's been corrupted. It's been, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's been maligned to where you can't really fully trust it. But Muhammad was influenced by Hebrews, by Jews, and by Christians, or professing Christians. When heresies were happening, the Gnostics and all these other heretics, they were being forced out of the land, out of the West, and they went east. And they came into contact with Muhammad. So he got his, his ideas and some of these views of his Christian beliefs from these heretics that were pushed out because of their, their heresies. And then the Jews who already rejected Christ as the Messiah. So, yeah. so you're, you're getting this influence from it, but this is what happens. If we don't go to this source, the word of God and stand by it, even when it, uh, it, it goes against what the culture is pointing out and, and promoting, even if it goes against your lifestyle, you know, um, as I mentioned, this this pastor of the local church here, the um, Washington Avenue Christian Church, who's a homosexual, and and I don't know if this man is or he isn't, right? But obviously, it's a UCC church. They're definitely affirming of it. When you go against the scripture because of your lifestyle or because of the lifestyles of people that are close to you, you've gone outside the faith. You can no longer say, "I'm a believer in Christ." Because you're not believing Christ. Where are you getting your ideas from? You can't pick and choose what the Bible says, right? You, you can't do that. God's word is God's word. It needs to be rightly understood, read in its context, you know, but at the same time, we must submit to the word of God, not have the word of God changed and transformed and submit to our, our ideas, our beliefs, our idols, our culture in which we are living that's just that's backwards. That's not the way it's to be. I think too, implicitly when we think about this, is um, the Holy Spirit, if He is God, would keep, as I read in the the confession, the Christian faith alive, and. It would be interesting to see what he thinks about the Holy Spirit. Obviously, he doesn't mention it in this homily of 18 minutes. My pastor B just gave to his first point by that point. Um, but, you know, what is his view of the Holy Spirit? Can the Holy Spirit and maintain a doctrine of belief that doesn't require change? And, like, how... And this plays into how do we understand? Does he think that that last part of 316, John 316, is just now null and void? We don't we don't need it. Our our message needs to change. And I think there's there's a lot there that Herod one heresy is never alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. We see the outworking of theology, Jehovah witnesses. They have a very cohesive theology. It's very cohesive. We got into them. The God's a God of understanding, right? 
And we should be able to understand him. Like the idea of, in the case of our conversation, that God predestined people, that God foreknows the future. Like that's, that's not who God is. That's, there, there's a sense that when we, our understanding of who God is plays a big part of this. We've seen here, he'll mention this 13th century, again, mystic uh, Thomas Merton. He will mention people like Gandhi and um, Muhammad as people. And Buddha, yeah. And Buddha as people who kind of had this enlightenment of the divine. Again, um, this is coming out of Eastern religion. This is... Um, mixture of Eastern Eastern religion and also so Deepak Chopra with their liberalism coming out of the um, out of Germany and it's imposed on the Bible. It's imposed on who Jesus is. He can't take Jesus seriously as it's written but he doesn't match up to who it is. We have to understand that Jesus is lonely and gentle and his burden is light, but he's a man who desires God's glory and he will overturn the money changers tables so that God's house will be a house of prayer Mm. for the nations. This is who Jesus is. And we as Bible readers, as ones who believe the Bible, have to reconcile that. <clears throat> and it's not always easy. And it's, and it's hard. Personally, the passive Jesus would be really nice. It's easier to understand. Or the harsh one. But Jesus is gentle and lowly, but he has a zeal for his father. And he does things for the promotion. I mean... Jesus is turning over tables. This isn't some like, oh, here it goes. I mean, he made a whip. He is, in this sense, an aggressor. Defending the glory of the Lord in the temple. So it would be a house of prayer for all the people. This is who Jesus is. We can't pick and choose the Jesus we like or impose what we think it is. We need to know who the Jesus of the Bible is. We need to know how God has revealed him from Genesis 1 until Revelation 22, when we see that he speaks and enemies fall down like a sword coming out of his mouth. This is the Jesus we served. He is our king. He takes the glory of God seriously, and we should too. Yeah. Absolutely. Now there, obviously, there was probably another six, seven minutes, maybe in that video, um, but we're going to end it there. I don't think we need to. We've already mentioned some of the things that he says in the video. If you want to watch it in its full context, you can go over to my Facebook page. I know I posted it maybe a week or so back. Uh, if not, you can uh, just reach out to me and I'll send you the link. Um, it's a lot to get through. Uh, it's it's frustrating to listen to, and it's sad. Because, you know, as Larry said, you know, uh, in one of his context or his comments, his context is king and he lies outside of it. Uh, he works on the ignorance of his 
probably non-Bible reading followers. So, you know, being that this is is cult-like is what Larry's saying. So, but this is what false teachers do. You know, that they they're they're pretty much as we read in Jude, um, already planned. They're they're already fit for this position to 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 lead people astray. It's God's judgment upon them. It's God's judgment upon those people. And so I would pray that people would come out of it. Mike's just shared the link there. But I pray that people would come out of that, right? If you're truly a follower of Christ, he who has ears to hear, hear and eyes to see, may you see the truth. May you see, like, if you're sitting under anyone and they're telling you things in the Bible and they're trying to separate verses and separate context and separate, uh, you know, a part of this passage from the rest of the passage, ask yourself, why are they doing that? And listen to what the, the message that they're trying to, to, to give you, trying to instill in you. And is that the message of the scripture? Because if it's not, run, run from there, get away from it, flee from it, because if you don't, you will be under God's judgment on the day of wrath when he comes as that conquering king to judge both the living and the dead. And you're going to be without an excuse. You're not going to be able to say, well, I didn't, the pastor told me. Now read your Bible. Read the Bible. Okay? So that's that, man. I don't know if you have any last, last word, uh, and we'll wrap it up. You're muted. Like you said, like you said, um, on Facebook, I put it on the chat so you guys can watch it if you want to. Um, it's it's good to think about these things, obviously, kind of jokingly um, about it, but bad theology helps us to think about these things clearly. That's... Um, the importance the Nicene Creed comes about because Arius is teaching false teaching and they need to think about these things. Um, so doing this with it, um, is always good, um, to think about, consider, and to again search the scriptures. Is this what John's really saying? Um, I mean, I don't think he really says anything that John's actually saying in the video, it's just his interpretation. Um, don't expect, ex, you know, an extensive exege exegesis on this passage when you're listening to the sermon, because you'll be surely disappointed. Yeah. Well, until next week, that's G220 Radio. God bless and good night.